It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken is a nationally syndicated automotive journalist and photographer who has been in and around the industry for over 30 years. So tune in for your fill of automotive information and entertainment with your automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is our number two of Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. I'm your loyal and intense host for the hour, Ken Chester. I'm so glad you could be with us. I'm here with the rest of the Roadworthy Drive crew, Jack and Sasha, at full strength and ready to tackle the issues before us for this hour. Used car wear. What should you expect as the miles roll by? We will investigate. Cities and self-driving vehicles. Better or worse? We take a look at the impact of connected vehicles during a previous show. Now we apply that same thought process to the coming self-driving horde. Finally, we wrap the hour up with a stew of electric buses, fuel cell development, and in-wheel electric motors. All that and our usual rummage for news from the parts bin. But first, you can add your voice to the din of the conversation, discussion, and debate. Call or text the Roadworthy Driveline, that number, 872-222-9700. Nine three, Email is easy, too. My address is Ken at RoadworthyDrive.net. Either way connects you directly to me and the rest of the crew. Hey, my peoples. Hello. Hello. How we doing? We're here. Yeah, that's that's kind of the plan, Jack. Yep, I know. You know, we, we kind of operate best when you're here. Well, and for those of you who weren't with us in the last hour... I had to ask Sasha again the same question. Did she return the really expensive pickup? And and, and I do mention that <laughs> the good news is she did. Yes. Yeah. Um, was not sure about the residual of things left in the bed of the truck. And those, I'm not even going to Those ask. stains didn't wash out. That's all I'm saying. Wow. So she needs, yeah, needs, oh. to be, needs to be careful about that. Okay, Ken, what is in the parts bin this week? Um, we're going to talk about. Uh, a futuristic Mercedes-Benz all-electric dri- concept car. Okay. And the best part? Mm-hmm. That it was spotted driving around Sicily in Italy. Okay. Um, Mercedes-Benz is launching a uh, completely a new sub-brand mm-hmm. called the EQ, which is all-electric. Okay. One of the first vehicles in their new fleet of electric vehicles. Um, in addition to the EQC, which is going to be an SUV... Is there EQA sedan? Now, typically, when you see concept vehicles, they're pretty, they look nice, but they don't run. This one runs. Okay. Not only does it run, it was out in public. Okay. That's pretty cool. Do you have a range on it? Um, Let me see. I don't believe that there... Oh, I do, in fact. Okay. But let me tell you a little more about it. All right. This is one that that they introduced at the Frankfurt Auto Show last year. Uh, and they showed it a video that showcases how the concept car will actually drive. In order to tease its on-the-road exploits, Mercedes-Benz actually brought the car to Sicily. And it shows a fully functional and driving EQA sedan. The car features smooth lines all over and comes with a tinted windshield and windows. The front of the car lights up. A Mercedes-Benz logo as well as red lights for a virtual grill. Blue accent lights around the vehicle add some additional design flair. To answer your question, Jack, they're talking 250 miles of range on a single charge. 
all-wheel drive, and an all-wheel drive mode, and zero to 60 in under five seconds. Not which, bad. Yeah, not bad. Quick charging feature will give you an additional 62 miles in 10 minutes, you know, in case you need a quick getaway like Bunny and Clyde or something. Yeah. So also, um, there's no price uh, on the car. There's no uh, video of what the interior looks like. And it's a prototype, which means they're getting close to production. Correct. Which is pretty cool. You don't usually see concepts on the road in public. No, but not really. Mercedes was making a point. Um, how about this? Audi and the country of Germany sign a deal. No big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Allowing, wait for it, flying car testing. <laughs> One more time, Mr. Chester. Did you mm-hmm. say flying car testing? I did. You did. I did. What's he- Enough of that. (laughs) Okay. You got that out your system? I got it out of my system. Okay. Flying cars, people. Volkswagen Audi's unit and plane maker Airbus. And Airbus is Europe's commercial aircraft manufacturer. Correct. It is not a low volume behind, you know, in the garage, take a couple guys. No. They build full-size commercial aircraft like the A320. Big planes. Mm -hmm. Um, The government and Audi and Airbus signed a letter of intent uh, to test air taxis in and around the Bavarian city of Ingolstadt. Ingolstadt, I believe is proper. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Audi's hometown. And it's meant to counter clogged city roads and unlock new growth potential in Germany for Germany's high-tech industry. That was according to the government press office. Mm-hmm. Fly- now, this is a quote. Flying taxis aren't a vision any longer. They can take us off into a new dimension of mobility. That was from the German transport minister. Uh, he continues, they're a huge opportunity for companies and young startups that already developed this technology very concretely and successfully. Now, they say, and I agree, flying car technology is closer than you think. Remember, we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. And there's actually one that stateside that Volvo's parent Geely Motors bought. We're close. Yeah. In fact, well, that particular company, Terrafugia, mm-hmm. actually builds them and has been building and selling them for now six years. That's the company that Geely Where just bought. Where are they being sold, though? Uh, well, the company's based in Massachusetts. Right. So I don't know if they're being sold all over the country or what, but I'm sure rare enough where, yeah, we're not going to see one in the middle part of this great fruited plain of ours. Well, <laughs> I, well I understand that, but... Didn't they also have to get FAA approval? All you needed was what they call a special uh, license, like for an ultralight or something. Okay. That's all you needed. But still a flying license. A special flying license, yeah. It's not like the regular pilot. No. Like a private pilot's license. No. Right. Nothing to that extent and not that hard to get. Um, Audi and Airbus demonstrated a mobility concept, (laughs) get this, based on an ultralight Two-seater passenger cabin that, wait for it, can be attached to a car or drone. Okay. Um, Now, 
they're not the only ones. There's another company, Volocopter, who's a, a German startup backed by Intel Corp and Daimler. They've built a drone-like electric helicopter to ferry travelers across city skies, and they've completed test flights. And they're seeking to offer their first commercial trips in the next three to five years. Wow. Now, we've talked about, I think we identified, what, five to ten companies currently in the mix of bringing flying vehicles to market with varying degrees of success? Yeah. Yeah. So, folks, this is a thing. And it's interesting to note that if you're these companies, they're looking to be in above the road. You've got companies working for autonomous features on the road, and you've got companies like Elon Musk's boring company looking to do things below the road. So no matter where you're at, at this time in our lives, there is a lot of opportunities and proposals out there to alleviate transportation. It will be interesting to see which ones are successful. Now, speaking of Elon Musk. Yes. Um, announcement, everybody. Tesla reached their production goal. Okay. What? What production goal and when was it set? Right. Building 5,000 Model 3s a week. Okay, so we actually got to 5,000. Mm-hmm. In a single week. Okay. Sort of. He was a couple hours late. Wait a minute. He either did or he didn't. He did. But he, it was into Sunday when they got done. And oh. the actual number was 5,031. You know, okay. You, you always like to build those few extra. But they did it. They did it. But I wonder if they can sustain it. And here's the thought. Um, they even had a third assembly line under a tent out there in Fremont to get it done. You probably don't remember the movie Gung Ho in the late 80s with oh, Michael God, Keaton. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. I'm wondering why, when I, when I hear this goal, why I'm thinking of them. For them, they had to build 15000 in a month to get their bonuses. Mm-hmm. Let's just say the last few cars were uh, not roadworthy. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so we'll see if Elon Musk can sustain that and if the quality is there. Those are the two things that should be interesting. Now... Separating facts from the myths concerning used vehicle wear, that's next. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive is a cornerstone of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. summer job way back then you've dreamed of having your own el dorado now you've realized your dream your 1985 el dorado is a very special cadillac with a special way of moving you like no other car you were right all along el dorado is the car that dreams are made of i miss those old time commercials i really do yeah, well, you know, standard of the world. And I think that was probably the best tagline Cadillac ever had. Best of all, it's a Cadillac. Yeah, well, right now their best customers are in China. 
I know. You're listening to Where America Comes to Find Real Facts, Real Opinions, and Real Talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. Welcome. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Uh, in this segment, we're going to talk about used vehicles. Now, plenty has changed over the last 50 years, and I'm not talking about just computers directly. Safer, more durable, and in need of less service are the facts that consumers continue to enjoy. Now, I remember the days back in the 70s of the 36-month car note and a 90,000-mile car, meaning that by the time it hit 90,000 miles, you better beat a path to the dealer, <laughs> yep. and you got a half a chance of actually getting there before the thing <laughs> fell apart. Exactly. Today, it's 200,000 miles plus, and heaven help us, 72 to 84-month car notes. Oh, yeah. Yikes. I was reading one writer's uh, take on this. Uh, I believe he was in the U.S. News and World Report, a recent issue. Um, on what to expect as you rack up the miles. I took issue for on most of what he said. I really did. It got me hot, uh, especially at the higher ranges. So I thought it would be a good time to have that discussion. Okay, hold it. The following opinions are Ken Chester's and Ken Chester's alone. Sasha and I had absolutely nothing to do with this. Go on. Yeah, that's cute. Okay. <laughs> L- let's, let's start with just some of the improvements um, in terms of items that no longer need maintenance. My personal favorite, 20 now, 21 years ago, mm-hmm. stainless steel exhaust systems. Yep. Only thing you have to replace anymore is the muffler. There's no such thing as replacing exhaust pipes. Okay, what about the catalytic wow. converter? Um, has always been, unfortunately, God bless it. Still made of rare earth materials, still a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reason why they get plugged less okay. uh, is due to fuel injection, uh, more accurate, uh, basically, computers that are operating, spark plug advance and maintaining all of that. You don't have a manual choke anymore. You don't even have a electrical mechanical choke anymore. It's all electronic. So the vehicle is burning, um, burning the gasoline more completely. And as a result, as a result, uh, you're not getting as much unburned fuel running through the exhaust, and that carbon was used to foul the catalytic converter because cars run cleaner and run more completely. Uh, you have less damage to the catalytic converter. So that's one thing. Um, used to be a time when you had four-wheel disc when you had drum brakes all around. Well, drum brakes wore sooner than disc brakes today. Unless you're buying a really inexpensive car, You've got disc brakes all around. Yes, you do. Uh, we talked about electronic ignition, yep. fuel injection, five-year, 150,000-mile antifreeze <laughs> that is good for that long. Yep. Uh, and one of my personal favorites, you love it, you hate it, the serpentine belt. Oh. You used to have different belts, one for this, one for the steer, uh, power steering, one for the alternator, one for the air conditioner. You have one belt. That belt is more reliable, and the chances of breaking a belt um, well, it would still happen, takes longer to happen because of uh, the quality of the belt. If you're running a serpentine nine to ten years, I'm going to bet you it probably needs replaced. Uh, that could be at some point. Um, we'll talk about steel-belted radial tires. Yep. Uh, as opposed to the bias ply tires that you had to change or rotate every 15,000 miles. Oh, yeah. You mm-hmm. got 40,000, 60,000 miles out of, out of tires now. Mm-hmm. All things that reduce the cost of uh, maintenance. Um, you've got you don't do a uh, chassis lube anymore. Your vehicle back in the day had points that you actually had 
uh, points where you had to load a grease gun and shoot grease in them, Correct. both in the chassis and in the steering, um, uh, your, your ball joints and all of that stuff. Not anymore. You know, uh, shocks. Most of your vehicles now have gone to longer life struts. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm just getting started. Now, let me, let me work through. The first thing this guy tells you is, well, you know, when you drive a new car off the dealer lot, it loses as much as 10% of its value. You're and you can expect to lose another 10% over the course of first year ownership. People, let me make this as clear as Ken <laughs> Chester can make it. A vehicle is a lousy investment. Yes, it is. You buy it for transportation. I'm not buying a vehicle to invest my money. No. Nope. I don't care. I buy the best vehicle my money could buy for the purposes that I want to use it. I'm going to run it till it won't run no more. And I, if I do it right, I'm going to get it to the dealer five minutes before the thing totally shuts down and dies. Yep. I'm going to get every penny out of it. It but never. But again, you also have to remember, too, Ken. That it's got to be running or it's nothing more than a very heavy paperweight. I've sold a few paperweights in my time. Yeah. Okay. But there's that. Um, he talks about if you get into thirty to 40,000 miles. Okay. Um, it's usually when lease cars come back to dealers. Um, and he's talking about if you're buying one, you're buying a general car, well, you know, or you, it's probably a good time to trade. Look, an off-lease vehicle that qualifies as a pre-owned certified used vehicle is a good deal because it gets an extended warranty and a mini point inspection differs by the manufacturer. The vehicle gets checked out either 125 or 175. Point it really inspection. depends on the manufacturer. Right. So yeah, I'm like, really, this guy talks about brake pads and engine filter needs to be replaced. Some tires need replacing at this point. You need to install a new fuel filter and change your transmission fluid at 40,000 miles. I'm like, what planet? Is this guy on? Well, the one thing that the, the car companies are doing when it's coming back off lease is they will change the cabin filter. And, yes, people, you now have a cabin filter. And, yes. yes. My wife's 2002 minivan had a cabin filter. And when we learned it, ew, was it foul. I bet it was. It's nasty. All I'm saying is a fuel filter? Really? No. No. Um, transmission fluid? No. Are you kidding me? Five years, 150,000 miles. You can't even change it on the new cars because the thing is sealed for life. Yeah. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, no, I don't know. 60 to 70,000. Now, he's talking about all the stuff that needs to be replaced. Timing belts, spark plugs. Spark plugs are good for 100,000 miles, people. Yes. And I've pulled spark plugs at over that, and they have nowhere at all. Now, spark plug wires may need to be changed, but that's more time than it is mileage. So, yeah. Now, yeah, you should get it looked at. He's talking about up over 100,000 miles. Oh, you don't want to own one. Look, today, most of us poor folks are probably looking at a six- to seven-year-old car mm -hmm. at, at around 100,000 miles. If it was taken care of, and you do need to take it to a mechanic and get it checked out, you do need to run a Carfax report. But honestly, it is not as scary as it used to be. And sometimes you can get the Carfax report for free, and other times you got to pay for it, but I'm going to tell you, that is the best, whatever that fee is, you can never Absolutely. And obviously, once you get over 100, 150,000 miles, you really should have a mechanic look at it, but it doesn't necessarily disqualify the car from ownership, particularly if it was taken care of. Okay, when we come back, we will talk about... Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about for better or for worse. Self-driving cars come to the city. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive will be right back after this. Want 
more than your share of the road? Be sure to check out Roadworthy Drive on Facebook. discovered the place where America comes for real facts, real opinions, and real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for tuning in. I am your host, Ken Chester. Along in studio with Jack and Sasha, the three of us together make up the Roadworthy Drive crew. If you haven't had the opportunity to check out our website, here's the question. Why not? RoadworthyDrive.com is the spot with plenty of gems about the show and, you know, us, the Roadworthy Drive crew. For those of you who visit the universe of social media, we have created something special just for you. It's called Wheels of Non-Consent, and it's hosted by Sasha of our crew. And each week, Sasha, well, uh, I'll let her explain. Yeah. So each week, I like to be the one to borrow. Steal. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the cars that Ken gets for the week. Um, It enables me to really show our listeners, what is out there for your dollar? We all work hard. Uh, most of us are, you know, pinching pennies. Some of us um, are actually looking to upgrade our mode of transportation. So I like to be the one that, hey, this is out there. This is the technology that is available right now. And you don't necessarily have to spend big money in order to get it. And that, folks, is Wheels of Non-Consent with Sasha. Trust me. It is a treat. You do not want to miss it, particularly if you're wondering, does Ken get the vehicles back? <laughs> Tune in and find um, out. Ladies and gentlemen, we had to explain to, to Sasha the term grand theft auto. Right. And, yeah, and felony. Yeah, that too. Yeah, what? that was said more than once. Um, be sure to like us on Facebook so you never miss a show. Now, for those of you who are truly mobile, you can also catch Roadworthy Drive on Google Play. I believe... I think now it was last week or so that we talked about the effect of connected vehicles on cities and traffic infrastructure. Right. For those of you who missed that uh, or you may not be familiar with the term connected vehicle, let me tell you what it means. It means that it's simply any vehicle that is connected directly to the Internet. Most likely, if you own a vehicle that's 2011 model year or newer, your vehicle would be considered to be connected. If your vehicle is a Wi-Fi hotspot or has access to downloadable entertainment, or it can be linked via Bluetooth to your smartphone, (laughs) guess what? It's It's connected. connected. For this segment, we're taking a look into the near future now, as self-driving cars take to the roads and highways of America, not only not as a test, but into the wild, as they say, into daily real life. The big question, will it be better or will it be worse? Well, like right now in, what is it, Air, not Arizona. I want to say it's further where they've got the Google, the Waymo vans that were taking. Phoenix, Arizona. Was that Phoenix? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that is that the one where they had the families that they could mm-hmm. sign on? Right. So, I mean, these were situations where Waymo had families that could sign up for this service. And then the car would be at their disposal. It would be their only mode of transportation for, I think it was a year. Didn't they sign them up for I wasn't sure how long. But, I mean, and you could actually follow their stories on the, on the Google 
on the Google page. Did you follow any of them, Sasha? Yeah, there was one in um, there was one that I was following because she had numerous children. And I was interested to see when the children went to school. um, And I guess the way it is now, someone over 18 had to be in the vehicle. Um, So they dropped off the younger kids first and then the older child. But um, it was very interesting to see how that freed up so much time for the parents. I'm wondering, though, with the 18-year-old, right. they didn't Does try she to like... game the system. Well, you know. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I can think of a bunch of ways that right? could get gamed. Thankfully, um, every single second that that car was out and about, uh-huh. it's completely logged. That is not something that she could be like, oh, I'm going to Samantha's house. And she mm-hmm. went, you know. To Johnny's house. To Johnny's house. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things where... Every single mile was logged. How do you feel about Big Brother, though? I mean, as a I'm, parent, I get it. Right. But as an individual. As an individual, I think that with self-driving cars, and we talked about this just last hour, there's certain mo or there's certain parts of your privacy that you're going to give up. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. Um, as a parent and as a mom... Am I willing to give up some of that privacy for a vehicle that would literally drive my children here and there, bring them to me? Yes. I think for as being a grandparent, um, mm, I'm a little I'm I'm torn. Yes, sir. I am bothered by that. Well, I mean, it's not any different than the than the little thing that parents can get for their teen's car that shows like the GPS wherever the car is. I understand that. However, let's face it. Most parents will look look at the kid and say, yes, I'm going to monitor your driving. Yeah. You've got to prove to me that you're going to do exactly what you're supposed to do when you're driving. Yeah. And you know what most kids are going to say? I don't need Unplug- to drive that bad. No. And they may. Or I'll have uh, Sarah pick me up or Johnny or whatever one of my Yeah, friends. they'll park the car at J- yeah. Johnny's house. Oh, they won't even go that far. They'll leave it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can totally see that in today's world. Um, here's the thing. As hundreds of cities across the globe test self-driving cars, uh, this one new study showed the effects uh, that local governments will be the key in implementing the technology and dealing with some of the consequences. Now, the study they were talking about, they picked Boston, and they couldn't have picked a better city because when you talk about congestion, congestion. And this is a city where if you live there, and I did, you're going to be taking public transportation, guaranteed, because – Within 40 miles of Boston, it's the most effective way to get around. Still, I would still take it over Uber or Lyft. And the problem is also is parking, correct? Oh, my goodness. Parking is a nightmare. But the thing about self-driving cars is that you don't have to park downtown. They can drop you off and go out of town and park somewhere. So you can do that. And remember, we talked about, uh, I think last year, this one study they did that if you went fully autonomous in the United States— you would free up, and I remember this number. I'll never forget it. was a big old number. 22 million acres of parking space would be freed. Million. Yeah. Wow. Million acres. Oh, it makes 22 me, million acres. It makes me cry when I see, like, you know, an actual, like, trees and, like, a field torn up. And just for a parking lot. And I'm like, you realize you're not going to need that. Now, the big thing that they're talking about governments is that if you're still using parking downtown— that the new structures need to bear in mind that they can be repurposed um, as these needs change. In other words, a parking garage ain't a parking garage 
in a parking garage. It's a parking garage, but can be converted to housing, things like that, done all over New England with the old factories. Yep. They repurpose that for housing uh, pretty easily. Well, and you're starting to also see the repurposing actually in shopping malls now. Too. Yeah. Well, uh, yes. Yeah, but we're looking at parking garages and freeing up all that inner city space that can be used for more population density, used for green space, used for other commercial ventures, just a lot of different things. So uh, we will keep on this as we always do. Um, but I will leave you with this thought. Of the 5,500 consumers that were surveyed, 60% said they were ready to use autonomous vehicles in the city. How many? 60%. They interviewed 5,500 people. Well, that's a high number. Yes, it is. When we come back, electric buses, in-wheel electric motors, and fuel cells, we stir that together and see how it tastes. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. Drive. Like us on Facebook. So glad you could drop by. This is where America comes for real facts, real opinions, and real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. This is the last segment for this hour. I'm your host, Ken Chester. Thank you for joining us. For this last spot, I thought I would throw these topics into the pot, bring them to a boil without seasoning. What? Yeah. I thought you might want to add your own, Jack with his grilling and Sasha with her unmentionables, (sighs) sometimes preferred by others as vegetables. Where did that come from? Uh, in he any case, he has an absolute hate for vegetables. Oh, I was traumatized as a child. Just so, I mean, and we're not talking about like okra and like obscure vegetables. Brussels we're talking about sprouts. That is a stationary broccoli. Widely, ex- I have to agree with those two. Cauliflower, three zucchini. Okay, people, move on. We're going to run out of time. <laughs> Just saying. Ill. Okay. Um, electric buses. Okay. In-wheel electric motors and fuel cells. Okay, so, oh let, so let's start with the buses first. Um, Momentum Dynamics just installed their second fast-charging wireless charger in the United States for an electric bus. Really? Yes. I'm assuming that whoever they installed it for has it at their place, and they have an electric bus. 200-kilowatt wireless charging system to support zero-emission electric transit buses in... Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, when you say wireless charging, they can put them in the in the garage stall and they charge them right there. Actually, when they stop to pick up passengers, mm-hmm. that's a charge spot. They've got them set up to a point where these things never go dead. It's limitless. So, wow. A, a public transportation yes. bus. Yes. That at every single bus stop, which they're normally there for maybe what, what would you say? 30 Two to five seconds, minutes? 30 let me, seconds to a minute. Let, let me read this to you. En route, high power charging is a critical milestone in growing world's fleet of battery electric municipal buses. Electric buses can now outperform 
diesel-fueled and hybrid buses in terms of the all-important measure of driving range. That's no contest. Yeah, while eliminating toxic tailpipe emissions to zero and dramatically reducing costs of operation. Okay, I have a question. Uh, I I, want to finish this first. Okay, the system is installed in the roadway, which allows buses to be recharged multiple times a day during their scheduled stops. In this short period of time, the battery of the bus receives enough energy to allow the bus to complete another circulation loop, thereby enabling unlimited driving range. The only question that I have, sir, is this. How are you going to hear the bus coming? <laughs> I mean, because right now you can hear the diesel engine yeah. from God a few blocks you away. You can smell it, too. Well, yeah. I'm not saying that you don't. All I'm saying is they're going to have to put some kind of... And I'm sure they, I'm sure they do. Okay. Least the worries. Wouldn't that be cool if, like, you had a, an app on your phone so that way you can track, like, the, the bus you know, coming? Can I break the news to you? There's an app for that. <laughs> oh, and, oh, and by the way, if, if they're gonna if they're gonna do something like out in the street, yeah, you know what they could do? The ice cream truck, right? The, the, music oh, from the ice cream truck, be, right? Oh my goodness! Or even if they had something set up so that way, when the bus came in, so you know, distance from yep. the actual stop, yep. like maybe like either the bench or something like that would actually start to light up. Uh, they got an app for that. <laughs> uh, Kansas City. That's happening, that. and we talked about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying not everybody has a cell phone. Yeah. Um, limited driving range is regarded as the key roadblock to the adoption of electric vehicles. With electric buses, an alternative to overnight plug-in charging must be used. On-route wireless charging allows electric bus to drive any route in any city with unlimited driving range. Wow. Now, let me blow your mind. Okay. The first one they installed was in Wenatchee, Washington. I've been to Wenatchee. I've been to Chattanooga. So it survived a winter. Yes. Additional wireless charging systems will be installed in the U.S. this year. Multiple installations, Europe in 2019. Now, the company that builds these buses builds them in Lancaster, California. And wait for it. It's a Chinese company, BYD. Why does that mean something? It's also the Chinese company invested in by, wait for it, Warren Buffett. Wow. Well, there you go. Okay, electric motors. We're running not, out of time. Yeah, but I'm not done yet. Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> they actually teamed up with a capital company to help smaller municipalities get into an electric bus leasing program. I was going to ask you about, I mean, obviously right off the bat, you're saving millions of dollars just in the ga- the fuel. Yep. Uh, $46,000 per bus per year. Okay. BYD makes them in California, Chinese company, and they set up a thing for smaller municipalities to actually lease the buses to get around the high upfront costs. Do we know what the bus costs? Um, well, I'll tell you what. Um, typically, I believe they said about fifty-five thousand dollars. That doesn't that, sound right. You don't. I think it's more than that. I, hold I, on. I, I would mean, have said one hundred to one hundred and fifty easily. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, I, don't, I, mean, I don't see the number. Okay. If, I don't, if it's I don't running at $55,000, yeah, I mean, more that's, than, I know it's more than that. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. Well, hello. Yeah. Right? Uh, electric bus investment saves 110000 a year in diesel costs and $55,000 a year in public health costs, and they've made it easier for companies to get into it. Um, there is a company that builds in-wheel electric motors for electric vehicles. Okay. Remember we talked last hour about that Remac. That builds in-wheel motors. Correct. This is another company called Alafne. It's E-L-A-P-H-E. 
uh, technology. They've been working on this for almost 30 years. And the best part, they say, is that the, most of the friction inefficiencies of a traditional drivetrain are removed. No gearboxes, transmissions, differentials, or joints. Small electric motor gathering power doesn't have to be recharged in each wheel. Connected to a battery to recharge the battery, and just amazing. And imagine, with no engine, no undergear, imagine the possibilities of configuring a car. I'll let that settle. Can that, are they thinking of doing that separate, or is that something that you can add to add the range to your already electric vehicle? Well, no. The way that it is, it's either or. You <sighs> remove that. But imagine, if it's all in the wheels, and imagine how much more room you've got and what the packaging could be for the vehicle. And you would not be restricted to the miles, the range. No. Okay, so I need that. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I do. Um, Hyundai has teamed up with Audi in fuel cell technology. <laughs> They're combining their stuff for fuel cells uh, because they believe fuel cells are the way to go particularly in larger cars. And uh, they're talking long ranges, short refueling times, make hydrogen an attractive future source of energy for electric mobility. Remember, Hyundai already builds a fuel cell. Their Tucson yep. SUV is if it has a fuel cell model in it. So things are happening, people. We've come to the end of this hour. Be sure to tune in again next week when we do it all over again. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. This has been Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.